0: On the text line to 630-630, following our opening up of the phones, folks that are either on their way down to the legislature for this rally at noon. I I mean, by the way, the throne speech is being delivered today. Maybe the timing's not an accident. Maybe George Clark with Albertans First is on to something. Listener here out of Edmonton says, my grandfather, when he was alive, used to watch the weather every day. And I remember him being really upset when they stopped recording temperatures using decimal points. You know, he says such as, for example, a seasonal high or low of, you know, 20.5 degrees Celsius. Instead, they round up to 21. He, He says, my grandpa used to say that they're not keeping accurate records anymore by rounding up in such a way. And that was 25 or 30 years ago. Did you, were you paying attention to the news story yesterday? They were saying that it was the first time that that, that two degrees Celsius focus actually occurred. Two degrees, the change in temperature and, and climatologists and others, including politicians, had to sit back and take note. That's, that's, that's the, the point, the tipping point, if you want to call it, that many politicians, including Canada's prime minister and our premier, for that matter, have made a commitment to observe Yesterday, a significant day or not. I suppose that's up to us to determine. Mike chimes in, says, I'm an ex-PC supporter. When did Edmonton just become left-wing only? He says, you know, there's still some right-wingers out there. He says, maybe all the right-wing guys are out applying for work <laughs> or don't have time to call in that from Mike. Another says, uh, this is Martin in Grand Prairie. Alberta is the victim of Canada's political leeches. And it's only time before we're sucked dry. He says, Rachel Notley is damaging this province. Bill out of Stetler says, uh, I think more people should listen to what Patrick Moore has to say. Yeah, interesting. You know, Bill, we've put an ask out to get him on the show. Bill says, also, nobody denies climate change. The question is, is it a natural occurrence of the earth or is it caused by man? Keep us posted if you're on your way down to the legislature. Of course, we can talk about it in retrospect tomorrow and through our newscast through the day. We'll be keeping you in the know. Everything you need to know what's happening both inside and outside of the Alberta legislature. Did you know that March is National Nutrition Month? Emily Mardell is here, a registered dietitian with Food First Nutrition Consulting. Uh, also, I suppose, technically representing Dietitians of Canada. Right, Emily?
1: Yeah, I'm happy to be here. It's Welcome a back. It's good to have you. Thanks for having me.
0: Why is it important to have a, a nutrition month, a national nutrition month?
1: Well, every year, Dietitians of Canada, they come up with a, a campaign that is, um, you know, representative of what's going on with Canadians right now. And it's really awesome because all across the country, we come together with the same message you know and this year's message is that small changes matter the theme is take one the 100 meal journey so the idea that you don't have to fix everything you don't have to attack everything about your eating plan or about your nutrition but pick one small thing and try to quantify that over a month and repeat it over a month and then see the reap the benefits
0: and I wonder if, if when you said right out of the gates and I'm sure it was strategic <laughs> small steps mm-hmm. you retain you retained a significant portion of this listening audience that may have changed the station had you said, this is a month where we expect you to revamp your entire diet, to stop drinking alcohol completely, to be active seven days a week. Why are small steps so important? Is it because we need to be able to measure our achievements or our progress?
1: I think so, for sure. You know, one of the things we find is if we try to have, you know, an all or nothing thinking, or we try to, like I said, fix everything all at once, it can leave us feeling very overwhelmed. You know, and when we feel overwhelmed, oftentimes that means we, you know, start with, the vengeance and then we stop quite quickly. So it can lead to a lot of failures, you know. So if we can find a way to set goals around nutrition or whatever it might be that we're trying to achieve that is, you know, something that's specific and measurable, something that's attainable. So kind of based on where we're starting, we're much more likely to to achieve that and to be able to build upon it.
0: Okay. Before we get into some of the questions that we have for you, I want to let our listeners know that while we've got Emily Mardell here in studio, we want you to have an opportunity to, to bounce a few ideas, a few questions off her. Of course, obviously as a registered dietitian, she's got that expertise that many of us can appreciate. You can text us anytime through the course of this conversation to 630-630. This 100 meal journey, Emily, what's it all about? What does meal number one look like in contrast to maybe meal number 100?
1: Well, the slogan itself, it's, it's kind of based on the concept. Over, you know, over over the course of March or any given month, we have about 100 meals, you know. So that's a lot of opportunities to make those small changes really stick. So if you think about uh, it could be something as simple as, you know, every day for my 10 o'clock snack, I'm going to take, you know, a piece of fruit to work, for example. That's an example of a small, measurable, attainable change that you can quantify over those meals and over the course of that month and hopefully carry it forward beyond beyond March into a healthy habit that lasts all year long. And truly it's the consistent healthy habits is where we see the benefit in re- re- reducing, you know, risk of chronic disease and improved uh, uh, weight management or whatever it might be, you know, just overall better health.
0: Am I correct in, in noting it seems that that obesity rates are on the rise, not just with adults, but with children as well? Is that an accurate trend?
1: yeah uh, the statistics are staggering really if we look at adults 62 uh, percent of adults are overweight or obese children aged five to 17 we're looking at 32 percent are overweight or obese so there really needs to be um, a collective and 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 paradigm shift around how we uh, interact with food our relationship with food our food environments and what we can do um, to, to to better those choices and to make those healthy foods more accessible more understandable and and more more attainable for people.
0: I want to talk to you about accessibility in just Mm -hmm. a little bit, because a big part of that is food cost. Mm -hmm. But how do you define, you know, as a registered dietitian, how do you define a healthy relationship
1: with food? Well, for me, it's um, one of the things that we're really recommending that people do during Nutrition Month is a little bit of self-monitoring. So we know that the food environment where we live, work, and play, it really plays um, a huge role in in terms of our food choices, because, you know, the way we eat it's not simple you know we have social you know our social our emotional all these things kind of impact um, our food choices so we really need to look at what are the cues even when I was coming into this building I was kind of looking to see kind of what was around and what was available for people to kind of pick and you know what you mean by. here at the chorus yeah, building yeah
0: okay it, what did you notice well
1: just like you know let's say the, the coffee station or whether there's you know a fresh fruit. Bowl available or whatever it might be, we have to acknowledge that our environments really do impact our our food choices. So I think first and foremost. To me, a healthy relationship with food is finding a way to create a better balance with wherever you are, like I said, living, working and playing, trying to uh, make those food cues, setting yourself up for success as best as possible.
0: This is along the lines of, you know, the people that will not allow ice cream into the house, <laughs> right? Because they know that the minute that it crosses that uh, that threshold.
1: I know. We all have our triggers, you know, so we can't can't ignore those. Did I, things, right? might, Did I just tip you off a little? Did I just clue you in? Yeah, you might have ousted. Me a little as a as a oh, an I ice was cream fan from, yeah. more than anything. Okay, I
0: never met it. I never met a bowl of ice cream. I didn't like
1: <laughs> exactly. But if you know you have you know certain weaknesses in that sort of thing, um, you know you really do. I think at home is the best place to kind of you know clean up the food environment because you know when, when we go to work, when you know you might have a hockey mom that's spending or a hockey family that's spending you know four or five days a, a week at the rink, and if their only food choices are a concession stand and maybe unhealthy. Vendors, And they're not so great at planning and prepping snacks or meals or that kind of uh, game recovery snack, then that's a lot of times they have to either say yay or nay to, you know, the chicken fingers and fries or whatever it might be. So, you know, it can really, that little assessment of your environment can help you set a plan for how you can, you know, improve your food choices, I guess.
0: We'll talk about setting a plan. Who, I mean, we have conversations on this show in, in, in many different contexts, and what they boil down to is society's assumption, and I think it's a good, to, a good thing, for people to take personal responsibility. Mm-hmm. I think society is sick and tired of people making excuses, people blaming others. You're wincing right now. Who needs to take responsibility in nutrition month? Is it, is it chorus radio that needs to have the fruit bowl out for me? Or is it me, uh, who earns a salary that needs to go out and buy the fruit? Is it, is it the hockey rink that needs to have healthy options? Or is it the hockey parent that needs to bring a healthy snack? Is is it up to the school administrators to make sure that there are bananas and apples in the vending machine? Or is it up to the, parents or the caregivers that are sending the kids to school with a lunchbox?
1: Well, you've just kind of answered the question. I think it's a shared responsibility. It's a community responsibility, communities within communities, you know, really all kind of coming together. But I think, um, you know, the, like the Senate report that recently came out on obesity, for example, had a lot of good recommendations um, centering around how our food industry can help support uh, better food choices, whether that is through um, improved food labeling, improved Improved menu labeling so that we're making informed dining choices within restaurants and that sort of thing. An improved Canada's food guide, for example, an improved nutrition policy, better nutrition education for our physicians, better. you know, nutrition availability for clinicians like myself, dieticians and that sort of thing in the community. So I really do think it's a shared responsibility, not necessarily one more so than the other, but um, there's a personal ownership, but also there's um, there's a community ownership as well.
0: Emily Mardell is our guest. Please include your name when you send us a text to six thirty six thirty. a listener out of Edmonton wondering why juice, uh, and then in brackets they have sugar water, <laughs> is still listed on Canada's Food Guide. They're wondering what, what the daily recommended sugar intake is is. Can, can you say that across the board or is it different for everybody?
1: Um, this is um, one of my beefs as well with the Canada's Food Guide because um, i you know, even 100% on sweetened juice to me is, you know, pop without the fizz. You know, I have to kind of confess, I feel very, very similarly to this listener about it. Um, every four grams of sugar, on a label is a teaspoon. So if you look at the average, you know, cup of sugar or juice box of uh, like tetra pack of juice, for example, you're looking at you know five teaspoons of sugar, right? So if, <laughs> well, you, if
0: you saw your little one spooning out five teaspoons of sugar to eat, you'd be like, "What do you think you're doing?"
1: Exactly. But juice kind of is 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 one of those hybrid foods, and and through the a little bit of mixed messaging with the food guide, we're kind of thinking, is it is it healthy, and how much can you have? Um, there's a little bit of debate around how much. Um, sugar is okay and that recently kind of came into light with recommendations from the World Health Organization and proposed changes to nutrition labels in Canada which are kind of coming into the fold. There's no recommended amount of free sugars or added sugars at this point in time. Um, Like I said again um, just trying to reduce those added sugars are probably where people can make the best um, inroads. The average Canadian has an extra 16 teaspoons of sugar a day added or hidden in foods, and juice would be an example of where um, we would get. Some when of you those say sugars.
0: extra sugars, you mean above and beyond what we need or what we can process?
1: Right. So if you look at it, just to draw on Canada's food guide again, if you look at, you know, uh, five servings of vegetables and fruit a day, having a couple servings of milk, for example, um, you're looking at. Um, close to, you know, 20, 20 teaspoons right there. Okay, just from eating whole foods. So the idea that you need to eliminate or we can eliminate sugars from the diet is is not necessarily appropriate or true. We need sugar for energy. It's truly the added sugar that you would find in packaged foods or hidden in foods for, you know, palatability or shelf stability or whatever it might be that we should be trying to reduce. And sugars, sugar-sweetened beverages, or pardon me, um, juices and sugar-sweetened beverages, they're definitely if not the top contributor, one of the top three contributors to, to our sugar intake.
0: I'm going to sound like a seven year old when I ask you this, but what's a healthy fun drink that we can enjoy?
1: A healthy, well, I mean, of course, we're always kind of promoting water and infused waters and different things like that, but People can get really, really creative in uh, in that sense. I'm Infused
0: really, water, you mean, like with with, with you know with cucumber berries, or cucumbers, pineapple, whatever. whatever. It might
1: be that sort of thing. You know, um, there's lots of um, you know milk is still a really good choice as well, depending on what kind of uh, milk you enjoy or plant-based beverage, that sort of thing. But you know, water is still top dog.
0: You know, the dairy farmers are going to be happy that you <laughs> just said that. Uh, you talked to different dieticians, you'll get different answers, speaking of dairy, on, on yeah. things like butter and bread, and, and people will point out the fact that, you know, I mean, hey, you know, when I grew up in our house, we, did, we ate the so-called whole foods, the big healthy, hearty meals, and, and yeah. we all grew up without obesity or, or heart disease as an issue, without diabetes as an issue. Where do you stand on, let's let's call them the old school favorites, but things like butter and milk and the full-fat yogurts and bread and, and red meat and potatoes?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, you have your personal standpoint, and then you have a, a research kind of evidence-based standpoint. Point as well, you know. I think all foods fit for the most part, you know. I think really one of the, the tenets and what we focus on in, in week three of Nutrition Month is really on prioritizing portions. So I think no matter what you are eating, it's we're eating, you know, 30, 40, 50% larger portions than what we were eating 20, 25 years ago as well. So um, if we did nothing else and not even evaluate the what of what we're eating but looking more at the amount, that is where we're going to uh, to be able to kind of save. Definitely focusing more on whole foods, less on uh, processed foods, eating as much minimally processed foods as possible is a, is a good strategy. Um, you know, five out of 10 women, eat more calories than they require. 7 out of 10 men eat more calories than they require. So really portions, no matter what you're talking about eating, are kind of, is is the thing to focus on.
0: Do 10 out of 10 of us that indulge drink more calories than we need?
1: (laughs) Definitely. We see a lot of of liquid calories, a lot of liquid candy going down for sure.
0: Emily Bardell, our guest here is, uh, we uh, tee up, I suppose, eight days in, National Nutrition Month. Of course, the month of March, week one, get ready, week two, quality counts. Week three, prioritize your portion size. Week four, try something new. Week five, make it stick. We'll get to some of the details on how you can do that. Plus, more of your questions submitted to the text line at six thirty-six thirty. right after this. It's National Nutrition Month. Our guest, Emily Mardell, registered dietitian. You can follow her on Twitter at @foodfirstrd. If you'd like to learn more about Nutrition Month, check out nutritionmonth2016.ca. Small Town Jeff chimes in on the text line, says, "As I sit here eating deep-fried potato wedges drenched in ranch, you start talking Nutrition Month. Thanks for the guilt trip." (laughs)
1: Lucky for him, it's the 100 Meal Journey, so (laughs) yeah, that's right, only one off.
0: Uh, Everybody's got their favorites. Everybody's got their indulgences. Where do you stand on things like cheat days or how do you organize? I mean, I've I've worked with a personal trainer here in Edmonton who says, there's no way I'm giving up my lucky charms. He lets himself have one bowl every Saturday.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's reasonable for most people. I mean, I think um, one of the things that's important is you can't outrun your fork. You know Yoni Friedhoff. He's a, a medical doctor in Ottawa. He runs a, a non-surgical bariatric clinic, and he's the author of the Diet Fix. And that's one of his sayings. So I can't take credit for it, but it's really true in the sense that you know, if you eat really well all throughout the week, and then you know, you kind of uh, binge, for lack of a better word, on the on the weekend, um, you know, it. it It does kind of negate things calorically. Like we have to be realistic. Oh, Emily, just
0: say what you want to say.
1: (laughs) But the thing is, you know, um, we have to find a way to, to find balance. You know, um, like if we if we set ourselves up where we can not live realistic lives, I like I like the idea of like a flex meal or a real meal as opposed to a cheat meal, because cheat kind of connotates that you're doing something bad. Yeah, you're putting whipped cream on your. Yeah, it promotes a sense of, you know, guilt around food, which to add to your question around a healthy relationship with food is we're trying to minimize, you know, why we feel so guilty about you know, that one indulgence or that one thing. And, and sometimes just kind of tapping into the things that we really most enjoy are the things that help us stay on track for the rest of the, you know, the 80% of the time. And that really should be the end, the end goal to find that balance. I think it's a good idea to find some structure when it comes to indulgences. And again, that comes from self-monitoring, self-reflection, things like that. If I look at my week, for example, and I know that, uh, you know, I'm going out with a girlfriend, you know, Saturday evening for dinner dinner, then I know I'm already already going to be having probably a restaurant meal that might be a little bit more calorically dense than what I might make, make at home. She might twist my arm into sharing a brownie, whatever it might be. You know, we all have that girlfriend. So that helps me kind sharing. of... Sharing. I know. That helps me kind of set up for the rest of the week, you know, rather than um, I might bypass the donuts that are in the the coffee, the coffee room, you know, because I know I'm doing that later in the week. So just being personally reflective and planning ahead, but including those real life scenarios are really important.
0: Emily Bardell is going to stick around with us taking your questions as texted in to six thirty six thirty. James took the time to call uh, during that commercial break, just to simply say, you know, in this day and age, parents are just so darn busy that it gets to the point where it feels like you don't have a whole lot of options except, you know, heating up something or maybe getting through a drive through What do you tell parents? I mean, geez, parents are busy. I mean, everybody's busy these days. How do you combat that?
1: Um, I'm pretty matter-of-fact about it, to be honest. Uh, I think we need to kind of re-engineer our lives and reprioritize. Food is really, really important. So um, you might not have time every single day, but maybe you have time on Sunday and Wednesday evenings to do some meal prep, to do some food prep for the rest of the week. Um, and finding that time or creating that time becomes really, really important. Um, we're all very, very busy, but I look at uh, food skills and family meals and cooking, legit cooking at home, um, as the same level of priority as you know, learning to manage manage money, or learning to drive safely, or whatever it might be, it's a life skill that carries forward and uh, pays dividends beyond what we can even measure.
0: I know you've got a busy household. <laughs> You're a mom, I so do. how do you make it happen? What is it? Do you have a food prep day, or how do you do it?
1: Um, usually, um, honestly, once a month we do uh, meal preps for our our lunches for the for the month. So usually, wow. yeah, it was just this past Sunday. Sometimes it's like. 45, 50 lunches, I should take stock in whatever company makes those glass containers because my freezer's full. That's what works for me. And then usually I probably cook three days, three days a week otherwise in terms of um, there's always, you know, some salad or kind of fresh veggies or frozen veggies or whatever at the ready. There's usually a quinoa or a cooked rice or something like that in the fridge. And then I usually make a, like a fresh meat of the day or, you know, pulse or something like that. Do you that. eat meat every day? Um, not every day, no. We're kind of fans in our house. I am an East Coast girls. I'm sure your listeners can uh, tell as I get more excited. Um, and we have Meatless Mondays as well, trying to incorporate more beans, peas, lentils, chickpeas, that sort of thing.
0: And what's your daughter's favorite lunch inclusion? What's something that you can put in the freezer for a month that'll still be as good the day that it's eaten?
1: Um, well, we make a lot of, uh, what did we make on the weekend? We made some turkey meatballs. We made uh, like a spicy uh, barbecue chicken thigh that was kind of like to sriracha and barbecue sauce. Uh, those freeze really, really well. Okay. Okay. So
0: you're doing, your lunches are actual meals. You're not, it's not like a ham sandwich or something. Oh,
1: no, no. No offense to ham sandwiches. No, no. These are, uh, you know, freezer meals that are, that are good to go. And that's how uh, my husband's in in sales. So um, he um, has, you know, a a fair number of kind of uh, restaurant, um, you know, run-ins, I guess, you know. So one of the ways that we uh, attempted to kind of better improve our own nutrition was to to pa- plan and, and pack lunches for him. So that became a priority in our household about two years ago and it's worked really, really well. That's what works for us but, you know, you have to kind of find what works for of your course, family. Of
0: course, yeah, that's what this month is all about, right? Mm-hmm. Shane wants to know about uh, your take on butter versus margarine. Herb wants to know uh, your take on Diet Coke. Uh, Cam's got a story he'd like to share about his daughter. We're going to get to all of these when we return with Emily Mardell right after this. March is National Nutrition Month. You can check out nutritionmonth2016.ca. Our guest Here, Emily Mardella, registered dietitian. You can follow her at FoodFirstRD on Twitter. Uh, I'm I get self-conscious. It's funny, like it's like when you're talking to a personal stylist for an interview, you you (laughs) wear like the best suit that you own. Uh, And and here I I decided to keep it real, so I'm I uh, rolled in with a yogurt, though I'm not letting you see the expiry date on the front of it, (laughs) and I've got a granola bar and about my sixth cup of coffee. Do I pass or do I fail?
1: (laughs) I can't can't look at that smile and say you fail. (laughs) It's all good
0: but I kind of fail?
1: Well, I think, um, you know, the sixth cup of coffee, you know, I don't know about that. But by and large, you a snack, you know, should, should include at least uh, two things. You have a little bit of energy. You have a little bit of protein there, some calcium, some vitamin D. So I think uh, it's not all bad.
0: What's with the coffee thing? I think a lot of people probably would have just, no pun intended, perked up when you said that.
1: Yeah, well, we're looking at, you know, probably... Um, close to a 16 ounce cup here so we're actually looking at you know if you this is the sixth one of this you know that that's a lot of coffee you know 12 cups um, the average uh, kind of recommended Amount is around 400 milligrams of caffeine a day. Um, But everyone has individual tolerance, and I think that's important with coffee. We all have that friend that can't drink any and they have the jitters. We all have that other person that can have one at 10 p.m. and sleep like a baby, you know. So we all have individual tolerance with things. But I think by and large, when we're using coffee just as a stimulant to kind of get us through without pairing it with a healthy food or enough activity, then it's a false sense of uh, energy, if you will, and can lead to a crash, some jitters, some issues with uh, mood regulation and sleep. All
0: right. Let's get to the text line, Emily, because mm-hmm. a lot of people have, have submitted questions and there are some great ones. Uh, by the way, I, I read a comment to you during the break and your face kind of crinkled. Uh, I'll share it with our listeners. Uh, somebody says, indulge all you want. In a casket, we all look pretty much the same. That is dead. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that, that's um, the mentality of a lot of people, I guess. It just depends on, uh, you know, um, a few different things, you know, quality of life and all that sorts of stuff as well while you are living, I guess, and how long you want to live for.
0: Yeah, I guess that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a casket, do you want to be there when you're 38 or do you want to be there when you're 90, That person's right?
1: probably like, you know, paragliding or traveling the world too. So they're they're doing all right, I Fair think. Fair
0: enough. Jeff says we'd like to make a big pot of homemade soup and then freeze them in smaller portions for later quick, easy meals uh, for when you're running behind speaking of dairy we've got a lot of questions about dairy here uh why don't we get to, to the one here we have uh from shane uh, asking uh if you'd give an opinion on butter versus margarine shane says i am in the butter camp okay well, which camp are you in
1: um, i i don't think i'm in a particular camp i just think uh we need diversity when it comes to fats um and really choosing mostly plant-based fats so um oils that are liquid at room temperature nuts and seeds things like that um That's where the majority of your fat should come from. If you're comparing, you know, butter and margarine, um, most people who have a non hydrogenated margarine, which is a soft margarine that has no trans fats, um, they would choose that as a heart healthy choice. Butter is often chosen because it is uh, considered more natural, even though it is an animal based product. So we do have to accept that with a natural product like butter, we are getting some source of saturated fat and cholesterol. But if you're having a reasonable amount of fat in your your diet, then I don't really think you really need to worry about if you're choosing a non-hydrogenated margarine or a butter. I'm more asking the question, are you getting enough plant-based fats? Are you getting enough fish? Are you getting enough omega-3s from other sources in your diet as opposed to which, you know, butter or margarine are you choosing?
0: A listener has a a plant-based diet question coming up in just a minute, Emily, but first, while we're on the the dairy conversation, Ben out of Edson this morning wonders why there's so much sugar in milk. And and I'll tell you, me person, I don't know much about this. I'm looking forward to your take on it. Uh, Ben says, I can't get over the fact that there's roughly uh, 11 grams per cup. He says, I'm curious, has this always been the case or over time has it increased? He says, according to studies on lab rats, sugar can be more addicting than cocaine. Is this a coincidence?
1: Um, What I would say Um, So all milk, milks are not created equal. If you go to the milk aisle, it can be very, very overwhelming. Um, A regular cow's milk, which I think is what this listener is, is talking about, in a cup, there's about 12 grams of sugar. And like I said a few moments ago, every four grams is a teaspoon. So in a cup of milk, you have three teaspoons of naturally occurring lactose sugar. Okay. So, um... You know, you can judge for yourself if that's a lot or a little for for a cup. What I would say with milk is you are getting also 9 grams of protein, 300 milligrams of calcium, you are getting 100 international units of vitamin D. And, you know, it's it's a little bit more balanced as opposed to just the sugar that you might be getting from a fruit juice, for example. Um, I think like anything, we can drink too too much milk, for example, to get, you know, too much sugar. If we're comparing something like a chocolate milk or a flavored milk or a sweetened milk, even if it's a soy milk that's sweetened, you know, you can get upwards of 30, 40 t- uh, grams of sugar. In a cup. And then you're talking about, you know, soda, you're in soda territory at that time. So not all milks are created equal, but I do think they, um, they do provide nutrition as a part of a balanced diet, but are not a necessity as well. You can get calcium and vitamin D from other food sources, from other supplements as Likewise. well. Well, like a vitamin D supplement, for example. I see. Um, you, you know, like eggs and salmon and, and certain nuts and seeds and things like that. Um, dark green leafy vegetables are a good source of calcium, as well as the yogurt that you're eating, or cheeses, different things like that. So, you know, you don't have to have milk as a part of a healthy diet.
0: Big L's wondering if, if there's a preference between cow milk or goat's milk uh, from a nutritional standpoint. And, and feel free to throw in another type of milk as well, if
1: you'd like. Um. Nutritionally, they're they're quite similar. Um, we we see uh, very very few differences when it comes to cow or goat milk in terms of the fortification. Um, sometimes we see less fat variances in in goat's milk. There might only be a two percent or a homogenized milk available in goat's milk, whereas with cow's milk you can have a skim, a one or two percent or a homogenized. But really, in terms of protein content, nutritional content, they're quite similar.
0: Okay, more with Emily Mardell taking your questions as texted into six thirty six thirty on this. Uh, National Nutrition Month coming right up. Registered dietitian Emily Mardell, our guest. It's National Nutrition Month. You're like two weeks away from welcoming your second little human to the planet.
1: I know. We're um, in the scared and excited phase. <laughs>
0: so exciting. Congratulations in advance. Any tips for, for expectant moms out there or anybody that's maybe even considering starting to try from a nutritional standpoint?
1: From a nutrition standpoint, I think you bring up a good point around preconception. You know, So if you're planning a pregnancy, even though 60% of pregnancies are not planned, like uh, you can probably guess, um, the better your nutrition can be prior to pregnancy is is the, the best possible. So really prioritizing nutrients like calcium, vitamin D, folic acid, and iron. And just uh, monitoring your, your weight and energy balance throughout pregnancy. Staying active and doing what feels good. That's uh, the best tip I can offer.
0: All right. Let's get to some quick hits here so we can get to as many questions as we can. Herb wants to know your opinion on diet Coke.
1: Um, my opinion on diet Coke is, uh, you know, if you're drinking so much of it that you're worried about it, then maybe you need to kind of Cut back, but really, um, what much like we talked about, whether it's caffeine or MSG or aspartame, um, those things impact uh, people differently. So some people have a sensitivity, and some people do not. But just to kind of bring in the pregnancy example, I think the upper limit for aspartame in pregnancy for a 150-pound pregnant woman is do not have more than 21 cans of diet pop a day. Oh, you know, so it's so beyond, you know, what is. Although you know,
0: there's probably some.
1: You know, <laughs> there's probably Someone that has a flat a date. Yeah, it's
0: 24.
1: (laughs) I I guess my point is, you know, if you're having, you know, one or two, it's a part of your kind of routine or whatever, something that you enjoy. We already know the detriments of sugar. But, you know, maybe get some more water in, you know, maybe look at the rest of your your nutritional intake and kind of go from there. But uh, it's not a hill that I worry too much about dying on.
0: Am I okay with Coke Zero?
1: It's the same, pretty much same the same thing. Same thing All yeah. right.
0: Listener here uh, out of Edmonton wondering if you should limit the amount of soy beans in your diet.
1: Um, soy, dietary soy in terms of estrogens, phytoestrogens, that sort of thing is is not a concern. You know, the amount of soy that we would get from whether it's a not edamame, bean or whatever it might be. So no, soy is good to go.
0: Okay. Rob's wondering your thoughts on eggs. Just a general question.
1: Um, I, I love eggs. You know, eggs have got a bad rap over the, you know, the course of, you know, from what I can remember even from school throughout my own career. But I would say That they're a complete protein they provide all of the essential amino acids one of the for for protein building but one of the challenges with eggs is they are a source of cholesterol so you need to be aware of that but what we know from cholesterol management now is it's not so much the cholesterol that you take in from your diet it's more around sugars it's more around refined carbohydrates and more around saturated and trans fats that are negatively impacting our cholesterol so eggs They're becoming more and more accepted and more and more promoted for their health benefit as opposed to their detriment for their cholesterol intake.
0: I know that there are a lot of factors here, uh, like how much cheese I would put into my omelet, but how many, I'm about a 200-pound guy, how many eggs can I have? In my omelet, where do I need to stop cracking?
1: Well, I don't know if there's a definitive answer for that, but I would say, you know, um, whenever I kind of make an an omelet, it's a good idea, like to mix in some egg whites, for example, because Ah. that way you're just getting the straight-up protein and and no cholesterol or fat. So it's a good way to kind of uh, stretch that protein and get a little bit, uh, get a little bit more in.
0: Drew is wondering your take on breaded frozen fish.
1: I would say definitely this is a good uh, label reading tip so if you are looking at a, a label likewise with sugar every 4 grams of fat equals a teaspoon so if I am comparing product A versus product B I'm looking for how much fat is present in that food and what type of fat so I'm looking for something that's very low in saturated fat or and hopefully no trans fat in it and then picking the best one possible and if he wants to send me an email I'll send him a, a recipe for a homemade uh, breaded fish. Really? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay, and this is from an East Coast girl. Yeah, So this is, this is going to be the real deal. <laughs> uh, we'll let people know that you can reach Emily via ChooseFoodFirst.com As mentioned, you can follow her on Twitter at foodfirstrd. RD. I love this question from Dalvin who wonders if you have any tips for resisting the urge to keep eating after we should have stopped.
1: Yeah, so I think one of the things that's important is mindfulness. So setting yourself up if you do have something that you really Enjoy, or it's that kind of trigger food having a smaller portion of it, like in a bowl or whatever it might be, Um, and then making yourself mindful about it so you're not distracted by, you know, the movie or the game or people around you or whatever it might be, so you're able to kind of sit and really enjoy it. Um, I have kind of like a 15-minute rule. So if I've eaten something that I want more of, I might kind of give myself 10 or 15 minutes just to kind of buzz around, change the laundry, um, call a friend, you know, do something that needs to be done. Nine chances out of 10, I'll kind of forget that I wanted more, the one out of 10 times I'm like, yeah, I really want some more of that trail mix. I'm good to go. Like you have to kind of find that balance, but give yourself some time to have a bit of a mental shift. The other thing that's important is is recognizing that, you know, hunger, you kind of have head, heart and stomach hunger are you legit hungry? Are you kind of feeling sad or down? Or it's like if I came in here and and there was a chocolate cake on your desk, I'd be like, oh, you can sense how that chocolate chocolate cake tastes, you know? So there's lots of things that kind of impact your cues around food. So just kind of um, keep that in mind when when you're trying to keep yourself from overindulging.
0: Yet you rolled in here instead with a a plastic baggie full of, uh, what is that, tomatoes, red peppers, (laughs) carrots, and cucumber?
1: Yeah, it's probably all the things crunchy that's not good for Texture is big, though, isn't it? <laughs> it Texture is huge. It is. It is, and it's very refreshing. So it's awesome.
0: Um, We've got just a minute left, but I want to get to a couple of more. I think it was Cole. I'm trying to find the text message, but Cole says, I'm a trucker, and he says, I get by on Mars versus Snickers, uh, which is the healthier choice. Uh, He adds in the LOL, obviously having a little fun with it, but it does bring up a good point. There are a lot of people that based on their profession, uh, live a somewhat sedentary life, whether you're a bus driver whether you're a long-haul trucker or a cop or whatever you're doing driving around. What do you say to those people?
1: Um, Whenever you have someone that spends a lot of time on the road or or they're commuting, I really encourage them to do what I call like a portable protein pantry or kind of a, a packable pantry that is uh, shelf stable. So whether that includes, you know, certain granola bars and different things like that are going to be much lower in fat and, and sugar and higher in protein. Um, nuts and seeds hold up really well as well as a lot of fruits and vegetables. So I think it comes down to planning ahead and having that supporting team if you will, of those healthy foods to kind of complement what he might only be able to get at a drive through or what he might only be able to get at a, a 7-Eleven or whatever it might be so that it, it's at least creating some balance so he's not having to eat, you know, two Mars bars to kind of feel, you know, satisfied for that hour, but he's getting a little bit more nutritional balance.
0: Finally, a listener says, I've recently moved to a more plant-strong diet with minimum to no meat. Uh, any concerns about problems that could arise from making such a switch? And they tag on at the end any products that aren't processed maybe that could be used in place of oil.
1: Uh, used in place of oil, um, sometimes when it comes to nuts and seeds, uh, flax, chia seeds, that sort of thing, can be used often as uh, replacements for uh, eggs and oils in different types of foods because they're their own. They have their own natural natural oils in them. Um, to draw on the the plant based comment is we're definitely seeing with new research around the Mediterranean diet and the plant based diet. This is the diet that is is helping people reduce their risk of chronic disease. So. You know, heart disease, cancers, uh, diabetes, high blood pressure, that sort of thing. So, I do think there's a lot of value in putting more nutritional real estate into plant-based diet. Whenever you have someone that is reducing their meat intake or reducing their protein intake, you have to look at quality proteins. So beans, peas, lentils, chickpeas, perhaps more fish, perhaps more protein from grains and seeds and that sort of thing. And just making sure that you're getting uh, enough because protein is what helps you feel full and satisfied and helps maintain muscle and all those sorts of things and helps you Build hormones and all those things in the body that you need. So, just eating plants alone without some priority for those other nutrients when you eliminate certain food groups over the long haul can uh, can lead to some nutritional deficits. So you want to be well-planned. Nutrition coaches, you know, dietitians, um, there's lots of good resources and that sort of thing that can help someone um, plan effectively. If
0: only we knew where to find a registered dietitian, know, Emily. Right? Uh, Choosefoodfirst.com <laughs> is where you can reach Emily Mardelli again, foodfirst.com rd is her twitter handle thank you for joining us here and best of luck with oh, your it, uh pending arrival two weeks and, from now <laughs>
1: yeah thanks to, to everybody to for putting out with my pregnancy brain and oh give my... me a break
0: <laughs> a fantastic appearance emily and, and i know that the audience would probably agree based on feedback thanks for hanging out awesome. with us Take care, when everybody. we come back some closing thoughts edmonton's food and beverage scene suffered a loss of great magnitude some personal thoughts next <laughs> It's been a tough day today for, I can say with confidence, hundreds of Edmontonians that learned of the passing of a beloved friend on Sunday night, Brendan Brewster, who did an incredible job over the last several years building and pushing Edmonton's cocktail scene. He arrived here from out of province. I first knew him professionally hosting segments he starred in on morning television and then developing a personal friendship brendan was the type of hospitality advocate that lit up every room he entered he worked at manor casual bistro he raised the game at north 53 and woodwork and boulevard and el cortez and inspired so many who now mourn the loss of a great man a great talent who passed away tragically far too soon, Sunday night in Victoria. With nothing more to say, I'll simply say, cheers. We'll miss you. Brendo Bartendo. Rest in peace.